Okay. Hey, everybody. Um, welcome to Black Lining. My name is Mackenzie, and this is our summer 2021. Is this all 2021? It's on, okay. Summer 2021 uh, um, summer release, and we are going to be conducting interviews with some amazing individuals who, with whom we're going to discuss how like they navigate Blackness within their own chosen fields. And today, I get the amazing opportunity to speak with Dr. Professor Omari Weeks, um, who's probably one of had like the most like influence um, of my positive experience is throughout my higher education career thus far, if I go to grad school. Um, so yeah. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Doing well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm hanging in there, all things considered. Um, do you want to take some time to just like tell our audience about yourself, what you're working on, if anything, and like what you're about, what you do? Yeah, uh, I am, uh, yeah, Dr. Omari Weeks. I'm an assistant professor of English and American Ethnic Studies um, at Willamette, where Mackenzie just graduated from, so that's awesome. Um, I principally work on African-American literature. I'm writing a book on um, uh, thinking about how uh, race, um, sexuality, and spirituality are co-constitutive categories and represented in late 20th century and early 21st century African-American literature. So I'm working on my book proposal right now and working on some articles that are coming out of that kind of idea. That's amazing. You sound so professional. Like you have all of your stuff together. Oh gosh. I'm sweaty just coming off of the subway. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I want to be you when I grow up. Anyway, that's fine. We don't have to talk about that. Or we can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to start our interview off with a question or a variation of a question that you actually asked me during my thesis presentation. Um, that question being, how has it been for you navigating kind of the exhaustion that comes with the world's hyperfixation on like black trauma, along with all of the other travesties of the past like year and a half in conjunction with like the day to day like rigors of like navigating the white norms of academia. It's just like all of the culmination of the bad things happening at once. <laughs> yeah, uh, poorly sometimes, uh, to be honest. You know, part of it is like, I, I've, I've never known anything else. If this is all just what I've wanted to do, I haven't really tried any alternative paths. Um, and so I kind of knew growing, like going into this, I'd be quite exhausted, just like doing a lot of this work. Um, some of it is compounded um, by being at a small English department where I'm the only person who like teaches African-American literature. Um, and because of that, you know, my work is on like late 20th century stuff, but like I'm constantly having to kind of teach about slave, slave narratives. Um, I'm constantly having to teach about like the horrors of Jim Crow, um, and those kinds of things um, all the time in a way that like I didn't I didn't anticipate having to always teach these things. Um, part of the way that I, I guess I navigated is by you know taking other kinds of projects outside of academia that like make me feel better. So I've been doing a lot of um, book reviews and like other kinds of writing that um, are about like what does it mean to be you know black in America like. What does it mean to be like reading black literature right now um, and doing it in a way that, you know, like helps to sustain the other stuff that I have to do, which is like 
work in a predominantly white institution, navigate the ways in which that is always trying to like um, both exploit me um, by um, keeping me downtrodden and exploit me by giving me extra work to do, right? Um, and so, I, yeah, my kind of terrible answer is like other kinds of work, I guess. <laughs> um, but other work that sustains me and also just like, you know, um, having like surrounding myself with people who are doing similar work who also take it like the way that I do. Like I remember, sorry, these, these answers are gonna, I hope they aren't too long. No, not at all. Uh, but, um, you know, I, you get reviewed every two years. And I remember my first review at Willamette with the Dean where she was like, oh, you know, what, like, what, what do you think you could improve? And one of the things I said, I think maybe I should improve is like, you know, I'm quite irreverent when I talk about like really tragic stuff. Like I make jokes, like I don't take things very seriously. And like, especially at a predominantly white institution, like it's, it's sometimes hard to navigate a fine line between like, you know, doing something that allows me to do this work without like feeling bad all the time. And then also like giving, you know, of white students the opportunity to like think that like oh like slavery was like not a big deal like look the black professor is like you know has a smile on his face or whatever um and sometimes that's worked sometimes it hasn't worked um there's something about like the Lambert students that are like very keen on you know uh not wanting to say the, the wrong thing so it's, it's worked more than it hasn't worked. Um, so I guess those are some of the strategies I use, being irreverent and doing more work. Being irreverent and doing more work. Um, I guess like a follow-up question for that then would be like, how has kind of like holding a position of authority within academic spaces, like, changed your I think awareness of academia then um, especially from the black perspective I think because be, obviously being a professor is very different than being like a student or like any other kind of like receiving role um, so yeah kind of like dealing with that exhaustion but also understanding like how has like a different positionality because um, like teaching is still something that is like fairly new, like within the past like five years. Yeah. So um, yeah, how is that kind of, I wouldn't say warped, but um, evolved your, <laughs> your um, relationship with academia? I, I know there's not like, you're not looking for like a right answer, but like my answer is like, it, it actually helped. The difference between being a grad student and being like a, a faculty member is actually like extremely serious. Um, just because, like, as a graduate student, I think something that, like, I, I still kind of deal with is, like, I'm no longer, like, the youngest around, but, like, I'm still pretty young. Um, but as a graduate student, like, it's it's not just that, like, like white faculty and administration treat you a certain way, it's, like, all faculty and administration treat you a certain way. So, like, you're in your, like, mid-20s, and they're, like, treating you like you're, like, an eight-year-old, and people don't know what you're doing. I have a lot of like arrested development and like, you know, my friends are like having retirement accounts. Um, and so part of what's been good about becoming a faculty member is that like having any authority is like, actually quite useful for with regards to like how I navigate this space. 
because I do have like any authority, which I like don't have that much. I don't have tenure. Um, there are very few like um, non-tenured people um, that can like create a like a solid block of anything. Um, but I do have the ability to kind of like speak up in faculty meetings, speak up with administrators, be involved in particular kinds of initiatives around campus that allow for like not the best changes because you know we no longer really have a we don't have a critical mass of like faculty of color who are doing these things and you know as much as like allies are great like there's always a kind of suspicion that we should have with regards to uh, uh, how much we bring allies into the fold. So in that way, it's been a little bit tough, but like I do feel like having any sort of authority um, within the institution helps with regard to just like figuring out like how to how to navigate it, um, and also like within the classroom. Um, it's been quite useful to be able to be like, okay, these are the kinds of conversations that we need to have, right? If it's a conversation that I think is like not going to be fruitful, it's something that I can shut down if I decide that that's what I want to do, you know? Um, and that's not something I was doing in graduate school. Definitely not something I was doing in undergrad where I like spoke not at all, basically. So um, doing that, being able to kind of like have even like the smallest platform like we're not even talking about like bronze metal platform we're talking about like uh, an inch or whatever it's actually like that's a little bit useful with regards to just like oh like maybe i can't make changes but at least i can like stand up for myself in ways that are useful uh, in a way that like i really can't do that much of that in graduate school yeah so do you find that like the flexibility of the your position even though it is fairly minimal is still like kind of, i guess does it like does it like make it worth it in a sense um uh, it, it only makes it it only makes it work insofar as i i have and feel any sort of buy-in with regards to like institutions like academia yeah. right if i didn't care about academia I definitely wouldn't do that um, and if I, I didn't care about academia, or maybe I would do this, but I definitely wouldn't like try to change much of anything, right? There are faculty members at universities all across the country who like don't do anything, right? Will keep their head down, do their work, not ruffle any feathers, and just like keep going, which is like another way of navigating the institution. That, like, I don't, um, you know. I'm not saying that like that's a bad way of being, and I'm not really trying to say that like those people are like terrible people or terrible academics or anything like that, but just like a different kind of orientation around an institution that like yeah have voice suspicious of. Um, but in order for it to change in ways that I think are useful, because like I do think academia is like an important institution, um, one that probably should be broken down and built from the ground up. Um, but um, until then, there are still other things that we should and can be doing. Um, having this kind of authority is, is quite useful. And it's for like students, it's for um, contingent faculty, right? We don't have that many of those at Willamette, but we have them all around the country. People who are doing this work are in the trenches, paying no money, have no authority, have no ability to kind of like um, affect the institution in ways that uh, benefit them or students and or students. Um, it's up to you know 
people like me who have tenure, especially, you know, to change an institution that like is going to be around for a while and as it will continue to work, will have profound effects on like larger society. I can definitely like say from personal experience that your presence on campus was like so refreshing. Um, like I honestly don't like if you weren't a part of like Willamette faculty, I don't think I probably would have stayed the entire time. Um, so That's so good to hear. <laughs> so like you are making like a difference, and I think just like your presence and the way that you conduct class and is I think so needed and like necessary and even if it is again you feel like or you are one within like this huge like fishbowl of you know very very white professors and like a very white population just in general across like all demographics on campus um the difference and the impact that you are able to make is like makes leaps and bounds at least coming from like a student of color who struggled a lot at Willamette like your classes were like what like kept me together and I was just like okay this I under I know that this is worth it um I didn't feel like a lot of the time it was worth it unless like I was with you and maybe like a handful of other professors so thank you for sticking it out well, also, I mean, like, thank you for saying that, because it's like, what would be the point of me doing any of this work if, like, there weren't the students like you who are, like, amazing and awesome and doing, like, great work? And it's like, the last thing I wanted to do is, like, have, like, the Mackenzies of the world be like, well, this shit is, like, ridiculous. Like, I don't want to be here, right? Like, so then I'm just, like, hanging out with a bunch of people who are, like, <laughs> boring and, like, don't have anything interesting to say. I'm like, I'm just like, what? Like, teaching them about slavery? Like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? Um, yeah, that actually is a really good um, segue into it. My next question is like imposter syndrome, just like the topic of imposter syndrome in academia, especially coming from the positionality of a person of color is I think fairly standard for most people of color in academia. I have not met a single human being who has not suffered or endured some form of imposter syndrome. Um, so like, do, have you dealt with imposter syndrome within academia and like how? No. no? <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Let me take all of that back. <laughs> uh, can you imagine? Sorry. Keep going. Sorry. No, I haven't actually. I have no, no. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like the smartest person ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just like, how has, like, what was your personal experience like with um, imposter syndrome within academic spaces and how yeah. do you kind of conquer that or are still figuring out how to conquer that because you've obviously made leaps and bounds so it didn't like you know you still did it and are doing yeah. it however comma yeah. it still hurts <laughs> yeah no keep that gerund in there that probably still do right yet. <laughs> you know i like i said before i i I thought I, I knew I wanted to do this for like a really long time. I like basically decided like my junior year of high school that I wanted to be a, 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 an English professor. Like not even just like a college professor, like an English professor. Wow. Um, and well, it was because like I had this um, teacher who moonlighted as a um, a professor at the community college across the street. And I just like really wanted to be him, but I knew I didn't want to teach high school, so I wanted to do the like community college teaching stuff. <laughs> 
Um, and so I I became a, a, a Mellon Mays undergraduate fellow. I did like um, study abroad um, at Oxford, um, basically to like learn, make sure that like this is actually what I wanted to. I, I know that's I'm so sorry. Like sounds like bragging, but I really I really went specifically to Oxford with two of my friends who also went to make um, English PhDs to be like, okay, is this like really what I want to do? Because like that's like a mecca of like a lot of this kind of work, or that's what I thought when I was uh, 19. So. I applied for graduate school, but like didn't know what I wanted to do. And like, I was like reading like James Joyce at the time. So I applied to be like an Irish modernist, which like, I don't, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, just like modernism is like an early 20th century literary movement. James Joyce is like the biggest modernist author of, of all time or whatever. <laughs> Shittiest. Um, I explain it uh, also, I can curse, sorry, is that like fun? Well, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Um, and so I won't do it too much. Um, and I got rejected from uh, everywhere. <clears throat> so the next year I applied again, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, wasn't in school anymore. I could focus on this. I was like at home working a part-time job at the time to dedicate to applications. And I decided I wanted to do African American literature. The thing about that, though, was like, I really had no basis in it. I hadn't taken a course in African American literature all through college. I had taken, it's the last time I had done like really, like I did one graduate course on interracialism my like senior year, where we, I think we read like Othello in another country. Maybe, and like, Woodhead Wilson, um, Mark Twain. Um, and so I went into graduate school in a very good PhD program as an African American with like very little like formal training. And part of it was not just like the imposter syndrome of being like, I went to like I, I loved where I went to college. I went to Queens College, which is a public commuter school um, from the community system in New York City, um, which is where I'm from. Um, I had a great time. I learned a lot. Um, but there was nobody, there was only one person who was teaching American literature, and I very, really took that person's courses. So, and I just felt like with people coming in from like Harvard and Yale and Princeton and like all, all these like accolades and like, you know, just like very, very, like, People who I thought were smarter than me, uh, I just like felt lesser than because like I didn't really know the field. Everything I knew, I was coming from a, an institution that like wasn't Harvard and whatever. What I ended up needing to do was just like again, just like surround myself with people who like were like you know I I was smart like I'm smart like I knew I could do it. I just like. It, it took way more work than uh, it would have had I like known my path specific, my even more specific path way like, earlier. And it was like having people around me who were like still like my best friend from graduate school who we were like, we all like really kept going. We really all like um, supported each other and like really like both like affected and like, emotional like, material ways. Like, let's get together and make sure we like do all that stuff and like, get it together. And that was really the only way. I mean, I still have imposter syndrome, right? Like, I 
move up for tenure in a couple of years. And like, I hope I get tenure, but like because of imposter syndrome, I'm not entirely sure. Um, every time I send out a piece of writing to be published, I have to have multiple people look at it to make sure that like, I literally say this, so that my first draft that I'm sending out doesn't make me look like a ridiculous person who like, doesn't know how to write. Um, and like, because I have those people in my life, like I'm able to better navigate the process syndrome that still exists. Otherwise, like I would never get anything done. Right. Like without those people, truly, I would never get anything done. But people who I like, I can share my writing with and like talk very openly with about like, you know, just what I'm going through. You know, I I I, I would do nothing. I would have I would have nothing to show for. At best, I would like go into the classroom and like be fine in the classroom. You know, um, and also just like hearing other people like have read my work really helps with that too. Um, so I do a lot of public writing as well, and just like knowing other people have have, have read it and have enjoyed it, um, it's been super, you know, useful. So like, I guess a lot of it's just like external feedback, uh, and also just like external compulsions to just like do more of that work. It's like, you know, it gets me. Uh, it, it feels good to know that other people read my stuff, and I like oh, that was like really good. I can um, talk more about it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, coming from a very similar position, um, like from an external point as like a student, um, you were like the most like confident person in the world. Um, and <laughs> it's like really surprising because it just like you like, you know, your shit, um, obviously. And you it's it's I don't know. It's weird hearing similarities about just like. Um, not being entirely sure about what you want to do or like how you're supposed to make it happen, but also like trusting that you are like good, but it will happen by your own abilities and kind of like th those coexisting at the same time, those very like what if statements of what if I'm not good enough or I'm not qualified, but also understanding like I am qualified and how they coexist and like within one brain and kind mm -hmm. of just fight back and forth with each other. Um, it's disorienting at least in my experience um mm -hmm. and I like don't know anything about how to I don't know I guess like persevere through that yet I haven't really figured that out just in terms of um I do get discouraged very easily um or like talk myself out of like just like not trying out of the fear of failure um so how do you like not do that <laughs> for lack of a better way to phrase it yeah um i wish i had a great answer for you because <laughs> like I'm, I'm actually quite similar you tell me like oh that was bad like i shut down truly <laughs> like you tell me that like oh that wasn't like a good piece of writing i'm like oh well that we gotta put it out of way i gotta start totally over and I think part of it is like I've gotten slightly better at that because, and this is again, this is probably going to be an unsatisfying answer, but it's like I have to see any success before I could like believe in myself. Like I have to have anybody tell me that like my stuff was good before I could like believe in myself. And then when other people tell me that it was bad or whatever, right? Like I, I still sometimes like get rid of that draft and like totally start over. 
but but also part of it is like okay well like it wasn't bad it was just like bad for you you know like you didn't like this yeah right? and it's like that's like fine right? <laughs> you know if you're like so like when i will send out something and like somebody's like well this isn't like so like i'll pitch something a piece of writing and the publisher will be like, well, we're not, I don't know that we're into this, right? Um, what I've ended up just like started doing is like sending the same pitch out to somebody else, right? And like the fact that like, for, for those of you starting out, like this is again, like not the best advice, but it's like, I have to know that like other people have liked my work in the past in order for me to like have the confidence to like continue to do the work and continue to send out that writing. Because it's like, well, okay, like not everything I write is going to be like the best thing I've ever written, right? But like people have like the stuff that I've done before. Um, people have like given me positive feedback, even on things that like they didn't want to publish. So I had to kind of go back into like my reserves of like compliments, right? In order to be able to be like, well, you know, this might actually not have been the right thing for this publication or this kind of editor, right? Like, it, it might have been something that's like, the two of us are not gelling together. Um, and like, my stuff will like, gel with somebody else. Especially if like, I believe in writing. There's stuff that like, you know, I would say at this point, the stuff that I, you know, trash and then start over with, the stuff that like, I didn't believe in at all, right? But I was like, oh, actually, I don't, this is kind of like some shit I put together. Or like, this is, you know, like I was just writing a book review for this novel and um, I didn't like the writing, right? And I'm waiting to hear back on it. But like, if they tell me like, oh, like this isn't for us, I'm going to start that over. Cause like, I, I, I didn't like the book. I didn't end up really liking the thing that I came up with. And partly what I'm asking this editor to do is be like, well, like, is there a kernel of anything here? Right? Like, how can I improve that kernel? Rather than like, I know what I've given you is not going to be publishable, but like, is there anything to salvage out of that? Right? So part of it too is like orienting the, the way in which you um, put yourself out there um, as a way of like, um, you know, saving the parts of, you know, what you've done um, that can be made better. Um, it's kind of about like, you know, I go back and like read old writings, right? I, I know, I'm sorry, I don't know. Your question is like that about writing, but like that's, you know. That's what, why we're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, or it's not that your question's not about writing, but like it's not like specifically about like only writing. But like for me, it's like, I. I know a lot of people can't do this and like it's taken me a little bit of um, time to be able to do like I go back and read like my favorite pieces of writing that I've done before and be like oh no like you do like that was, you didn't plagiarize that like that's like stuff that came out of your head that's like writing you've done like you know how to write so like just keep doing it keep writing yeah so I guess like the general takeaway is like one understanding that no one person is like the authority on whether or not your writing is good yeah. and also understanding like writing like isn't like an all or nothing experience and that like if there are aspects of your writing that could be used for something else or could be um actually are salvageable or 
like or just like not you know wrong wrong place wrong time kind of thing and so like it isn't just you're a bad writer this is a bad piece it's not going to work mm-hmm. it's more it's more nuanced than that obviously and i think it's like i guess keeping that in mind when negative feedback comes back it's not like you're a bad writer or this is bad writing necessarily it's you have to kind of maintain perspective in light of you know kind of the the negativity that's kind of coming at you which is hard but necessary it is it is i mean it's similar to like you know in class i feel like i constantly talk about like um audience right but like people write for particular kinds of audiences so like when you're putting writing out there it's not only like is the publication since the publication have the audience for the writing you want to do it's like once you like get into the whole field right there's just like so many um mechanisms between the the draft that you have and like it going onto like a website and being printed in something right and, like at any of those mechanisms somebody can be like oh like, i don't like that and maybe they'll say like it's not for our audience or something like that but also it's just like hey like you don't know the entirety of your audience and also like a lot of it seems based upon like your own kind of personal readings of things right so um it's it's one of those things that's like my mom is like you know when i'm feeling bad she's like well listen don't be depressed right and it's like okay that's not helpful um so like when i say like oh you know and somebody um tells you that they don't want your writing it's like um don't believe that right like it doesn't feel helpful i guess like as i'm saying it it's like out of my mouth but like that is kind of how how to respond to some of these things it's like just like be like well i can't take it i can't take it hard every time like i, I just like can't it's i i know i'm good at it um Maybe this piece of writing isn't for this person. Maybe this piece of writing isn't for anybody. But like, I'll I'll write some other stuff. Um, and there's also often going to be like good parts of like the writing. So like um, keeping keeping drafts of things, keeping like for every piece of writing, I'll have a like a shadow piece, a shadow file that'll be like scraps or whatever. That's like the scraps have often become other pieces of writing. So. Um, of a level of organization that, like I don't usually have, but like it's about as organized as my writing. <laughs> so I'm glad you're not asking me about process, because so that would be a whole other like shit show on that. Oh, okay. Well, I'll ask you about process, but like on my own time. <laughs> um, but yeah, these are all like I think really good um, advice on kind of I think staying grounded and maintaining that um, like full awareness of like the entire kind of situation when it comes to anything, whether it be um, getting published or whether just like existing within um, kind of a really difficult space, whether it be academia or whatever professional field you're in of just being like, I'm not bad at what I'm doing. It's always like the, at least for me, the default like narrative in my head is that I'm just like bad and unqualified and it's not true because I wouldn't be there if I weren't and so like one remembering like having like an archive of positive reinforcement that you can go back to but then also realizing that you got yourself into the place where you're in you got yourself into that position um 
you're there like for a reason you wouldn't be there if you you know mm -hmm. so I think it's like kind of just like being your own mentor um even also when have like real mentors I have real mentors yeah. well that's why you're here um, <laughs> 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 um yeah also like a community is a really big part of it as well um of like again like external uh feedback uh, even though you're not supposed to rely on it it helps mm -hmm. like i feel like everybody needs external feedback um at least in some degree to kind of feel a little bit validated about what they're doing especially if you're coming from a position where you're kind of it's a little bit harder for you to get in um so yeah community is a big one um honestly would not have survived willamette without like jam and you know the four mm -hmm. other brown people there no we're no we're not um <laughs> i wanted i wanted to be a little superfluous it's like manifesting for the future for future classes um, <laughs> but it's not for uh yeah <laughs> um i think moving on to talking about access to opportunities and accessibility um i want to integrate kind of the necessary aspect of anything con any conversation anybody has today which is talking about covid um and how covid has changed everything and one of the things that it has i think illuminated is kind of the normalized and standard ableism within professional spaces and like especially academia and so I wanted to ask you, how has professing during COVID kind of changed your approach to classroom instruction in order to accommodate uh, and make your teaching style more um, um, accessible to like all students as mm -hmm. or as accessible as possible? Yeah, I mean, this is something that, um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about with regards to like how COVID has changed things is that like the only way for me that it has changed things is by making things more accessible and, and what I mean by that is like you know I'm not I teach English courses I teach literature courses I teach ethnic studies courses and like you know there there are ways in which these courses could work with like me droning on and on about like uh, what is Latini Dad? Uh, you know, what was, you know, Executive Order 9066? Like, me giving, like, facts or whatever, right? In a way that's, like, totally could be useful, could be not useful, whatever. Um, but, you know, my classes are um, seminar-based. They're discussion-based. I um, have zero interest in, in lecturing very much, as much as I, like, I feel like I take up a lot of space in the classroom. Um, I am uninterested in um, taking up all of this space. And I think the, the one thing that COVID has been able to um, do is just like have more people participate in class than before. And by that, I mean, you know, I don't, I rarely take, well, no, that's not true. Now I do. I rarely take attendance now. I used to be, I used to take attendance for like fun. Um, I really, I really don't anymore. But, you know, this, um, I was off in the fall. Um, 
So I only taught the spring lab, spring 2020. Yeah, spring 20, spring 2020. Um, when COVID happened in the middle of the semester, okay. we had to pivot. Then I was off in the fall and I taught the whole semester last spring 2021. And I noticed that there was just like more like attendance that people were able to come to class more because what being on Zoom allowed is for like people to like, A, not have to come to class while they were sick if they didn't want to. Like I, I know that students came sick to class on Zoom because like they weren't infecting anybody, but like they still wanted to like at least listen, but they weren't actually actively participating. They were still listening to the conversation. Um, and so, you know, Zoom, I think, has allowed for people, you know, to um, actually, like, better integrate college into their lives. Because this is the thing about, like, a lot of students at Willamette and, like, at most other colleges and universities that, like, you all have other shit going on. Um, some of it being, like, just, like, your own shit of just, like, wanting to do other things. And um, some of it is, like, you also have, like, um, part and full-time jobs because, like, you're uh, working to support your family, um, your internships, other kinds of stuff that's going on. And, like, what Zoom allows is for, like, you to not need to, like, come into class. And you can, like, be on your phone if you have one. You can... Um, uh, you know, have a different like orientation um, around the classroom and the classroom space. Um, I think that's been like super important for just having more people be able to participate. Um, I mean, the other thing is like, um, you. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I definitely feel like I um, I try to make the readings shorter so that we could spend more time on like smaller chunks of just like staff, right? Which allows students to, you know, more of the reading in a more in-depth way. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that I want to continue to kind of integrate into um, the future when I guess we're going to go back into the classroom. Um, I knew that I wanted to do, I taught a hybrid course in the spring where I went into the classroom and there were people in the room and there were people on Zoom. Um, and I knew that I wanted to do that because I wanted to appease both sides. There's plenty of students who like wanted the kind of community that was just like bodies in a room, which is like, you know, I work on body. So like that, I work on affect and that kind of stuff. So like that's really important to me to be able to um, accommodate um, that kind of thinking about like, what does it mean to be in a classroom? And then also obviously plenty of people just like, wanted to be on zoom for like other reasons like not just like COVID-19 not just like health reasons but just like you know I want to stay in bed right but I also want to be like a part of the, the classroom experience um and so I I'm, I'm not I'm I'm hoping that you know my universe our my hour let's just say mine I don't I don't want to like give it to you if you don't want I want my university to be able to still accommodate that kind of like ability for us to be able to you know um create other kinds of like classroom experiences and other ways of just like being a part of a classroom experience that will allow um, people um to be able to kind of zoom in zoom out and connect, um, do that kind of stuff um yeah i guess that that's the the main way um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking. Am I droning on? I hope I'm not like droning on. No, you're not. You're not. Every word is as necessary as possible, and I'm grateful. Thank you. Um, I just from personal experience of being in your classroom last semester, I think the flexibility uh, and just the options that you awarded to students to even to like baseline be remote or be in person or like choose if and when they wanted to come in person or not. But also I think, you know, a lot of professors were thought like that was doing the most, like, like being hybrid and accommodating in that way was the most that they could do. And they were still trying to kind of exercise the expectations of, you know, normal classroom etiquette of just being like, you have to participate. You have to like say this much within, you know, the allotted 60 minutes or 90 minutes that we have for class, your camera must be on and I must see your face and you must be engaged. And like, people are going through it. Um, And not everybody I think has the ability to kind of just like make class their main priority, especially because a lot of the times like, you know, your classroom participation counts for how much of your grade, but most of your grade goes towards how you're engaging with the material. Um, But then I think it was just kind of like a very um, unrealistic and kind of like unfair expectation to kind of not award that flexibility kind of like towards your, like all of your requirements for how, you expect or don't expect students to kind of engage and it was frustrating from other professors to kind of like have to kind of pull teeth to be um i think a little bit empathetic to what their students were going through um and i don't know if i'm like allowed to ask this but from like a faculty standpoint was there like any like just like I don't, any way of like kind of trying to advocate for that from professors or like colleagues mm-hmm. who weren't affording that leniency with their students. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. Do you mean like, was the institution trying to normalize particular kinds of um, like policing behavior yeah i guess yeah i guess that's a good way a better way to phrase it yeah no 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 no. um i i wouldn't say there was an institutional one i would say there was more like an atmospheric one in which like other faculty were kind of like well we we still have to abide by a particular kind of norm with regards to like what like a university degree is right like there's a certain kind of like rigor that then gets processed through like what's in seeds, particular kinds of assignments, particular kinds of um, attendance policies and stuff like that. I wouldn't say that anybody was like, well, you have to like you have to keep 75% of the children's like children's uh, yeah, I'm gonna pretend like it's it's a viewers uh children's uh, cameras on or anything like that. But I, I did get a sense just like from like like conversation and like official spaces from other faculty that like a lot of them wanted to be able to say that like we maintain a particular kind of rigor uh, that then is um, 
uh, only imagined in a few particular ways that pretend that like COVID didn't exist. You know. I wanted to be flexible in like a number of ways. The other thing that I meant to say too was like, I, I wanted to be flexible with assignments because, you know, um, I, uh, when I was a, I mean, to this day, like I'm not a, as much as like I, I write professionally, like I'm not, I don't find some, I don't think I'm a creative person um, in, in any real way. I'm you know, more of an analytic writer than like a creative writer. And because of that, like it just like never dawned on me that like students would want to do anything other than papers. And, like this last semester, like um, giving y'all options of like other ways of doing assignments. Um, so not just like, I had to be honest, I was like quite flexible with deadlines. I just like set deadlines. Like I had to end up being quite flexible with them because, you know, the world was falling apart, right? Um, and I, I mean, even when the world stops falling apart, if it ever does, like climate change, I don't know. And I, I'm going to continue to be that kind of flexible, have that kind of flexibility with regards to deadlines, but also just like the kinds of assignments that you all could do that were like more creative, that were like, I was getting like zines for the first time. I was getting like posters for the first time. I was just like getting art for the first time. It was like, the one thing that like, I don't know that I'm supposed to admit, or that I should admit this, but like, I, but I feel like I say this every once in a while, that like, I hate breathing. It has nothing to do with like the quality of anybody's work or anything like that. The best students, students who are struggling, all that kind of stuff, it's just like, I just like don't like grading as like a thing. Um, I guess like get a mental block when when I have the grade, which is why often it takes so long for you to get assignments. But um, often it's like other things get in the way. But like sometimes it's that too. Um, but like I just like had the best time grading. This is like my favorite semester of grading, to be honest. And and part of it has to do with like the the letting go of particular ways of thinking about like what does like again like what does academic rigor mean. Right, like it doesn't need to be a ten-page analytical essay. It can be like it's like a bombazine or like poetry or like other ways of just like thinking about like you know why would it be the only way that we can think about like you know um, you know what did I teach? Um, but I'll talk about the class teaching in the fall. Like, why would it be the best way to think about slavery? Like, the only the only way to think about slavery is like through the ten page, like kind of like essay, right? So many more isn't going to feel that way. It's like, why should I allow? Why should I make it? And that was like an extremely rigorous way of thinking about what slavery means. Like, beloved is like one of the most rigorous ways of thinking about what slavery meant, right? Um, it's like, why should I um, pigeonhole you all into thinking that like analysis like only has to be routed through like um uh rational essays that kind of like thinking right you all think differently from me i would if, if i was given the opportunity i would still do an analytical essay every time right um i went to a friend's baby shower one of my best friends baby shower she asked me to do um because everybody she asked everybody to like um do um like those blocks for kids mm -hmm. um I'm just like drawing these blocks. I didn't do it. <laughs> like I refused to do it because like that's how much I hate doing like art, <laughs> especially visual art, right? But like other people love doing that shit. And like why why stop you all from like, being able to to think critically outside of the confines of what I think is academic rigor? 
Yeah. I think that also goes a lot to show, I think, the kind of standards of academia historically and into the present have been based off of like, if you aren't completely depleted by the end of your working on whatever it is, is it valid? Like, is it worth it? Does it like have meaning or significance? And I think um, that's also something that was really illuminated within the past year of just being like, I just the question of whether or not exhaustion is the main signifier of whether or not something mm. has worth. Mm. Um, yeah. And some people still think it is and others don't. And it was so weird kind of seeing how people took on, I think, that concept of is exhaustion a necessity in order to assign value to whatever it is that you're working on. Um, and I, again, there was professors like you who allowed kind of individuality and variety. And when it came to completing assignments and engaging with the material, and there were others who were just like, you need to do this 10 page paper as it's always been done. Anything else just doesn't really have, it's not gonna carry the same weight. It's not gonna have as much meaning. And I am also one of those people who would prefer to actually write the 10 page paper, um, but that's just how my brain works. and you know, especially like being at Lamont, like the most ridiculously creative people are there. Um, and kind of seeing people realize that they had the option to kind of act on that creativity and it still have meaning within a academically rigorous um, example. It doesn't have to be purely analytical in order for it to matter. It was like really, really like amazing to witness because that's not something that I've ever really even considered. Um, like as someone who does write creatively, like I did a creative writing thesis, um, I still don't want, my knee jerk reaction isn't to write like poetry in response to most things. Um, it's like a very personal kind of um, aid for me, but I would, I've, I would love to write it like a 10 page analytical paper because that's what makes sense in my brain, but I, not everybody has my brain and not everyone mm -hmm. should have my brain because um, <laughs> I'm a mess, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the, I mean, again, when it comes to accessibility is being able to uh, accommodate for, again, like all forms of thinking. And I think mm -hmm. academia as it currently exists resolves around a one size fits all formula that fits mostly like no one for the most part like it doesn't fit the majority of the people involved in academia who aren't I guess the um, original participants or intended participants of what academia was supposed to look like within a Eurocentric frame of thinking mm -hmm. so yeah that's that that's, on that. yeah totally <laughs> sorry I did not mean to ramble this is your interview I'm so sorry no no um, no so, I I, I that's great. No, that's totally, that's totally right. Yeah. Um, so yay, accessibility within everything. We can work on that. Um, okay. One of my last questions, which is also going to be a segue of accessibility, which is a little bit of a difference though, uh, from the rest of our conversation talking about ac academia. Um, we want to ask a little bit about activism in the current state of activism and how weird it is right now um mm -hmm. just because of like social media um activism has changed very drastically within the last handful of years um 
I think there's a lot more accessibility when it comes to organizing and, you know, information and resources. But then that also, there's this like avenue for performative activism, which is, I think, becoming more and more rampant over time. And it's becoming like the norm for kind of like heartless surface level. I want to be an activist for brownie points, but not actually wanting to take the time and do the work and the research to actually make conducive change. Um, so I just wanted to get your hot take on the, I don't know, the, the state of activism in today's day and age. Yeah, I, you know, I, okay. How, I'm trying to think of like how hot should I make this take? Spicy. Well, part, part of it is like, I think about this a lot, that's like, I forget where I heard it, but there's something like you only need like like three or to four percent of a critical mass of like a population in order for you to be able to make like, um, particular kind of structural change. Right? So that like if you have like large masses of people out in the streets talking about like racial justice, right? The the way in which the state kind of reads that mass, right? will often be about like suppression, right? Will often be about like violence, um, but also can be about like um, uh, uh, a bunch of people really want to fuck shit up. So like, let's kind of think about like what, what they're trying to say, right? At a certain point, you kind of want to be like, okay, the state can't often um, uh, distance between, or, like make uh, a judgment between like those who are doing it for bounty points and those who aren't, right? And so, like, those, even those who, like, are doing it performatively can also be useful, right, for the purposes of, like, those who, like, actually want to make a particular kinds of change, right? Um, and that's, like, not to say that, like, that's, like, amazing or, or great, or, like, that's, so now we just, like, want a bunch of performative people doing stuff. But, like, there's something about, like, if you wanted to do, uh, and, you know, you know, I'm, like, like, a skin kind of person. So if you wanted to do like a kind of like mathematical kind of thing with like the people who like are really interested in or, or one and the people who are being performative about it are like like a point three, right? The point three still has some sort of use value with regards to like pushing particular kind of activism forward. That being said, right? And this is something that like I think about too, that's like, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm like the most like in the streets kind of guy, right? I do the kinds of activism that I do through both, this is gonna sound like a little, uh, not like hoity-toity, but like, I wanna, I wanna be like a particular kind of like base of knowledge for those who want to be more in the streets than I am. So like, that's why I, a, do the work that I do, B, teach the classes that I teach, and C, like, really try to have the discussions that I want to have in the classroom, so that, like, you know, y'all are just, like, running around being, like, well, you know, I'm uninformed about, like, you know, past histories of activism, past histories of, like, you know, radical work, right? Like, thinking about, like, how you all fit within a kind of, like, long history of particular kinds of activism is, like, super important for me. Um, so for me to be like, well, being a performative person or being somebody who's just like not doing all of the work would be, would feel quite ironic. I don't know for me to say that. 
But I do think that there is a way of thinking about, you know, how there is a, now I'm going to feel like I'm going to date myself, but like there is like a definitely an, a kind of like Instagram activism. There is a like a way of thinking about, you know, I think about this with like, you know, um, uh, that stupid thing of like when they, uh, a bunch of corporations like blacked out their like Instagrams or whatever, right? Of being like a, a thing that like was activist of like, okay, but like, what is that doing? Like, who is yeah. that for? And the question becomes like, you know, is that a question that can actually be answered, right? Like who is that for, right? It's definitely for them, right? It's for profiteering, right? But like it makes, it increases your profits for you to be on like the quote unquote right side of like a particular kind of cultural moment, right? And that, that should suck, right? That, that's annoying. That's something that's like not doing much of anything. Actually, like that's that's a zero on the end for me anyway. Um, but for me, for those people who like actually do want to do something, but like don't know the right thing to do, and like the right thing to do for them is to do a kind of performative activism. I uh, maybe it's also just like I'm, I'm getting older too, but it's like we I mean, go do that. I don't know. <laughs> do that in a way that like allows you to do better right like don't find that to be the limits of what you can do but like for some people it's just like we fucking do that right i don't know i what can i ask like what is your what is your take on this because like i just My feel take. like i think like for me it's like i'm at the point where like we're still like we need bodies right and like the it is easier to persuade the performative body than it is to persuade the non-performative body, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's the work on the activist, the academic, or whatever kind of person to like bring more people into the fold, right? But at least your that person is meeting set us like a third of the way, a quarter of the way, right? So I, Again, maybe this is just like me being like an older person. That's like I can I can no longer begrudge that person. Or, or I can only begrudge that person insofar as like I still need to like bring that person more into the fold because like that isn't it. Right. And if like then you're only doing the performative activism to get likes or clicks or whatever, right? Like, yeah, I can like let you go. Right? Like you whatever like i just like i I can't i can't be actively against you because it's like i don't have the time like i don't have the patience and you know going back to your stuff about the exhaustion right like i don't i don't need my exhaustion like being mad at you to be a way of thinking about my own value with regards to like the kinds of activism that i'm doing um but at the very least like if you're doing performative activism like kids that gives us something to kind of work with or work through. Um, even even if it is like tiring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think I align with a lot with what you're saying because one, visibility pays off. Like, and also we're in the we're still in like the baby steps, like the beginning stages of mm-hmm. actually making change. Like I I think a lot of people aren't aware of just like just how much we're trying to like get rid of 
Um, and I think this is something that Gianna and I, Gianna um, is our, like the co-founder and co-editor of Blacklining, as we talk about is like, people are like, tear it down, tear it down, but they don't know what they're tearing down or they don't know what they want to put instead. And mm-hmm. so if like, you, you need a little bit of a plan um, and there's this aspect of activism for like non-performative activism that kind of condemns people who don't know everything that they're talking about. And there isn't a lot of room for like learning and like getting there and like working through it and figuring out the steps that you need to take. It's like, you know, your shit or you don't. And if you Mm -hmm. don't know what you're talking about, or if you, you know, don't have all of the information like off the bat, then you don't have a right to be here. Mm -hmm. And so there are two very like extreme ends that are, kind of barring people from the point um so like again they're essentially supposed to be seen as opposites but they're kind of doing this like uh, contributing to the same goal of just being like deferring people from the point (laughs) Uh, so you have performative activism which is on like on a corporate level very much for the sake of revenue and again visibility and being on the right side but then you have kind of this policing aspect to activism that is very exclusive exclusionary and doesn't allow people to actually learn and participate in a way that would be more conducive to actually getting people out of the performative activism kind of category and like graduating to non-performative or whatever and I don't think they're either it's like that binary of a dichotomy either um so i think there's a there's a lot more nuance that needs to be had in a lot of the conversations surrounding activism that i don't think people are willing to have most because those conversations are taking place on twitter where nuance doesn't exist um yeah i i realized halfway through what you were saying that you were also definitely talking about like twitter activism yeah most performative yeah Yeah. and so it's also like yeah go ahead sorry Oh, no, it was just like, um, most just like the same thing of just like, it's hard to pinpoint what's like conducive when people aren't actually having conversations with each other, like people aren't actually listening. Um, and it's so yeah. it's hard to organize and build and create like a very constructive plan for, okay, how are we going to accomplish these things? What exactly are we going to put in their place instead? Now that if we get rid of these like harmful systems, um, when nobody's actually conversing with each other and they're just like screaming. Conversating. Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, I love conversating. Make that a real word. (laughs) I mean, if it is, I think it's a real word. If you knew what I mean, that it's a real word. <laughs> that is how language works, truly. Yes. So yeah, I I see what you're saying, and and part of it is like what the the one thing that I will disagree with you slightly on is right, but like you need to plan for what to do next, right? But like part of it is like yeah, you kind of need some sort of like you know vague kind of gesturing, right? So that you know that like what you don't want is like at least like what you don't want right you don't want like authoritarianism you don't yeah. want um, despotism you don't want like um you know uh getting rid of the university to like put everything on youtube right like at the very least you need like those kinds of like broad strokes right i don't know that you need like to know exactly what you're fighting for as you fight because part of what i think 
and this is what I like to kind of teach and think about, right, is that like, you know, within the histories of activism, right, it doesn't have to require people to like get along. It doesn't have to require people to like have the exact same vision in order for them to be able to make change, right? But like part of it is like, there's a difference between like what, what we were talking about before about like performative activism on Twitter, um, shutting people down for not saying like the right words, right? To say one word out of turn or one word that's like a little prickly or whatever. And like, that, that's the end of you, like you're, you're done. Um, I think there's a definite use value in like having robust like debate within like the, the circle of activism that you're a part of, right? That's like, how do you, which isn't about like compromise, but actually about like fine tuning a particular kind of vision, right? So that like once the thing gets raised, R A Z E, um, you're not you're not doing competing things, right? But like, I think the the way to go about things, which is something like I like to do, and I know it's like not the way of talking to other people du jour is like, okay, we disagree. Like, what do we disagree upon? Like, how do we not not move past the disagreement, but like come to some sort of like conclusion at the end of like our discussion? That's kind of about like, well you don't have my exact politics, like you're you know, Hitler or whatever, okay. which is like often where Twitter goes. I, I'm not, I'm not using that position as much as like how Twitter often goes, right? Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that what you were saying is about like, well, everybody just like needs to get on board with everybody else or whatever. But like, I think the thing about it is like, how do we create different kinds of disagreements or like more productive yes. kinds of disagreements? Right, and allowing that to inform our activism, and allowing that to, inform, <clears throat> excuse me, allowing that to inform how how to regress or how to move forward. There's nothing wrong with disagreement. There's nothing wrong with like debate. There's nothing wrong with like conversating. Right, it's it's when the the conversating ends before anything productive even occurs that the real problem. Um, and I, I don't have like a solution. I think part of it is like social media will kill us all. But like, um, I think it really is about like for me, it's like I I do filter. I, uh, no, I'm not gonna say that. I was gonna say I filter my social media so I'm like only talking to people who like I think we'll have like good conversations with. But like that's not true. It's like Twitter person. <laughs> like in a, in a perfect world, that's how I would. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, create a Twitter presence or um, fine tune and still people who are just like I, I know I really don't want to talk to yeah because because of that right now, there's plenty of people that I don't want to talk to because like we disagree about things and I know we could have a discussion about it and there's plenty of people who I don't want to talk to because like, I just like know that no kinds of conversation can, can happen with us yes yeah I really liked how you phrased it productive disagreement um of just being like you don't have to be like in like harmony and like holding hands and being like, this is our mission statement. Um, of course not. Cause like, that's not gonna happen, but also it's like a really unrealistic expectation to have. It's not gonna, it, the, the, the entire point isn't to be civil. It's like actually besides yeah, the point. Exactly. So kind of prioritizing like that, like, 
unrealistic civility in terms of just being like everything, everybody has to be in agreement isn't functional. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's besides the point because not everybody's going to be coming from the same place with the same experiences. Everybody has different needs anyway. So like you need to kind of like butt heads a little bit. And I also like how you said how you don't necessarily like need to know like the ins and outs of like activism to be an activist because a lot of the like you figure out how fight and like learn and everything just by kind of doing it. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. learn as you go. And again, you should be able to have that room to be there and still be in those spaces and still kind of like learn and also contribute what you do know because you still have something of value. Like you're gonna have something of value to contribute for the most part. Um, So yes. Hopefully that is the, that's the goal. Um, So yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement about productive disagreement um, and how I think necessary that is as an expectation to have um, and not kind of set, I think it's setting yourself up for failure a little bit to just kind of expect all movements need to be based off of kind of like blind cooperation because that's what we're fighting against against <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. it's like hard it's like hard work I have, yes. it's not like i'm saying that like it's easy to like have those kinds of disagreement but like it's like way easier to shut somebody down like immediately versus like saying a lot right right yeah um we're just having like kind of like talk shit or whatever but it's like that's like a fact right and so you know using that as a baseline for your politics right it really does um Kind of disparage what is the actually difficult and thorny work of like doing activism, right? The idea that like people organize in the past and like all just like have the same exact thoughts on everything is like not true. It's like just like totally untrue, right? The civil rights movement is not about how everybody agreed with Martin Luther King, like there was not an X, right? Um, which is not to say that like they were totally like you know, but myth of like them having totally completely um, antipodal ideas about like what um, activism means is like blah 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 but like it's their their disagreements were just as important as their agreement their ability to kind of like feed off of one another's ideologies right and then like often and like as we've talked about like come um closer and closer together ideologically um kind of um through thinking about like what is the dialectic between those positions, right? That's a like tough work. It is really hard work. And I don't think activism should be or needs to be typical, but like it is, right? So like why try to make it this easy thing if like if you don't totally completely agree with me, um we're we're we can't do anything. Exactly. Which is like also just like not how humanity works, but that's what I <laughs> that's a much bigger it just like goes feeds into a bigger conversation about like the state of humankind as we know it but like nobody has that kind of time um or maybe they do but i don't uh, <laughs> um okay um i just have one more question for you now that being it's a kind of a selfish question like for me but it can help yeah. us um for those of us and by of us i mean students of color who are wildly discouraged about our place within academic fields 
and don't know where we stand as of whether or not we want to continue. Um, what words of advice would you have for, not necessarily like figuring out what that means for yourself, because that's of course a very individualized experience, but just like, I guess, or just like in your experience, how did you kind of overcome those really, really, really hard parts of being an academic student um, and still continuing through academia right now when academia kind of like doesn't want you all the time? Yeah, I mean, my advice is, I think, I think the way that I've really had to think about this is that like, as somebody who's like anti, like generally anti-institution, just like what I said before about like how I like, not that I like academia as an institution, but it's, a, it's there's a difference between liking an institution and like being able to um, recognize the way in which it works within a society and kind of like treating it in a way that's like about like being knowledgeable about it. Um, I guess what I'd say is that like, it's like a couple things. First, no institution is for us, right? And part of it is like, you know, how do you make particular kinds of inroads within an institution to make it like bend to your will um, as best you can, right? And part of that has to do with like what we were talking about earlier, having like mentors of color uh, as much as you can, having like white mentors who are like with it as much as you want and, and can and like that. as much as you can like uh deal with that. I don't know but maybe not that. <laughs> it's having like um you know a community of people right um, alongside you um that you can commiserate with like kind of think through like problems with as well right that's like there's no this is something that I have to learn really um, quickly and, and, and by that I mean I didn't learn quickly but I, I wish I had is that like it is impossible to do this individually it is totally completely impossible to like navigate like any institution or especially an institution of academia as a person of color as a person of any other marginalized group um, and just like do it on your own right that's just like not how institutions work. Institutions work by grinding the individual into something that's like both a husk of itself um, and also just like um, become something that just like cannot function in any way other than how the institution wants it to function, right? And it's like very good at that. It's like very good at beating down individuals, right? And so the only kind of way to like make, make any sort of inroads, just for like your own, like both in terms of like changing the institution, but also creating your own space, but then it just to do it amongst others, right? I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, 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 of that kind of work and doing that kind of thing because, you know, for a very long time, right? Like I, there's like a good like two year, three year, hole in my memory of graduate school in which like I kind of shut myself out from like a lot of people my my mentors my advisors my friends um just like people that I knew because people that I knew would, would really um, put it back for me 
and I, I was like a mess. I got nothing done. I was like sad all the time. I um, did poorly. Like I, I did no writing. Um, that like I had to like find within myself through others the ability for me to like do the kind of work that I wanted to do. It was only through that that I was able to like navigate an institution that you know seals the bones of like children who died in the move bombing. Right, like that's the that's the institution that comes from the University of Pennsylvania. And so, knowing that like an institution will never be in support of you, knowing that an institution will do everything that it can to like, beat you down. Right? Um, Having that kind of knowledge and having that knowledge amongst others is just like, I think the only kind of way to do this, to navigate this. The only other, I mean, I guess the other way to do it would be like to not give a But like, I, that's not, I, not giving a for me just like doesn't, it's not conducive to anything. It's just like not productive. But then I just like sit around and keep on bonds with them. Um, so, Building community, I think, is like the real kind of way to, to do anything and to find a place within an institution that will like, never want you, right? Like, it sounds a little like, you know, uh, fairy tale-ish or whatever, but like, that's really the only way I can think of to, to do it precisely because of how it institutions work. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think in, I'd have to agree just like with my experience, my limited experience with like higher education and kind of oppressive academic systems. It's like they work really, really hard to make you feel like you're alone. Um, I think they benefit most when you feel isolated in terms of just being like, all right, you, you get in, you get out, you didn't you know, contribute anything, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think that's when you're kind of the most, at least in my experience, when I was felt the most docile within, uh, within that kind of environment. And I didn't feel like I even had the right to speak on anything or kind of like stand up for myself or demand better for myself from an institution until I kind of found or like inserted myself into communities or on campus that made me feel like I had solidarity and with like seeing other people like upperclassmen kind of go to bat for their own rights and to kind of demand better for themselves from the university. I didn't even know that we, like when I first got to Willamette, that, that was something that was even allowed. And it's not still, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, like they don't stand for it but still being like you still have that right to kind of advocate for yourself to the best of your ability um you have I think one of the best things I got out of um being at WAM it was realizing that I had the right to be a problem or like it wasn't a problem to be a problem um and kind of that um passivity I think that I'd relied on like my entire life, especially growing up in like a predominantly white institution of just being like, look, I need to be as quiet and kind of um, like invisible <laughs> as possible in order to not be, you know, kind of like perceived as kind of like this intrusive force um, was 
contributing to kind of like my own oppression or in a, in a way. And I like, I, mm. again, I'm still unlearning that. Like I still feel yeah. guilty and too visible whenever I do speak up for myself or kind of been like, Hey, like, don't say that to me. Like things that, that simple, but um, yeah. Um, community makes it better because you feel a little less out of your depth and like even if you know shit hits the fan you still have people to kind of help you through it um and you're not alone and not being alone is something that I think yeah we'll take for granted a lot and forget how much power there is in the community and solidarity I think the other thing is like take their money (laughs) steal their shit Like, (laughs) like truly I mean part of it is like you know don't don't let them like make you feel like you don't like deserve stuff or whatever right that's like that's again that's like how they get you they give you like i mean this is like gonna sound totally like capitalist blah 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 and you're like boop 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 or whatever but like yeah make sure you you know uh, take 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 the forks and knives from the dining hall right like orient yourself in a way that's like not of the institution but against it like mm-hmm. in like whatever way you can because like being of the institution doesn't like often provide you very much right um what is an institution that you like you love but it's like i don't know i would i would love for you to find that institution or whatever it's like being a rabble rouser like uh, gets a, a bad rap or like has a negative connotation but like in some ways it's like the only kind of way to to be in relationship to an institution right but like yeah. just like being black like you automatically are rabble rouser right you automatically are like um and it's not sometimes it's often not fair to need to inhabit that positionality but that is thrust upon you yeah um but like sometimes it's like not just useful but like i mean it can be cathartic yeah um, and like why why deny yourself of like those kinds of pleasures if like those are pleasures that you actually kind of want you know yeah wise words thank you so much for sitting down with me this was really fun it was really good talking to you again yeah you too come back can you just like pay another sixty thousand dollars for another year? oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> No if I had it, if I had it, I'd give it to you. I Thanks. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. um, well, thank you so much. This was delightful and also very rewarding. I haven't had a constructive conversation with another human being since I've left Willamette. So <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. I'm being overzealous, but like kind of. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. Any great to talk final, to you too. Yeah. Do you have any final closing arguments, words of wisdom? Um, keep at it. I don't know. I, I'm getting the sense that like the, those of you who have like just graduated from college are feeling quite placeless in a way. Um, but part of, I think, you know, there's, there, there can often be utility in placeless things. Right. There can often be utility in just like finding one's way. And like, it sounds like a kind of like Robert Frost poem or whatever. Like, there are two roads, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, don't capitulate to the idea that like you need to know exactly who you are and what you're doing right now. You know? 
um, maybe that sounds like a somewhat of a privileged position to like be able to kind of like be able to explore. But like, if you if you have the ability to kind of do some of that work, right? Don't let other people tell you that like what you need to know right now is like exactly who you're going to be like forty years from now. You don't, and you won't. And um, I hate to use lean in, just like a kind of phrase or whatever, but like um, there is, I think, some value at least in like leaning into placelessness. Lean into placelessness. I can do that. I don't. I, I can do that. I don't know. That's, I'll. I, didn't, I don't have yeah. anything else to do, so I can do that. Um, and I will tell all of my friends who are feeling lost and adrift to just, I'm like, lean into it. Just like. Yeah. Take it for what it is um, as an opportunity as opposed to like an identity crisis. Also, identity crises can be opportunities. It's yeah. just states of evolution. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I think well, that's Mackenzie. all. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Okay, um, oh, this is so stupid. I hate doing this. Okay, you're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> um, uh...